You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, as you know, we're in the book of Proverbs, and last week, Pastor Trevor introduced us to the book of Proverbs. In uh, Proverbs chapter 1, we learn about the purpose of Proverbs. Uh, Verse 2 tells us, the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction. The book was written so that we could know wisdom and instruction, uh, which means uh, to skillfully apply God's Word with discipline and discernment, right? Wisdom is skillfully applying God's Word with discipline and discernment. Uh, The theme of Proverbs is given in chapter 1 as well, verse 7. We see it as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, those who don't fear the Lord, despise wisdom and instruction. So God wrote this book and included in the Scripture so that you and I can be wise. And the starting place for wisdom is to fear Him. Now, if you add with that, chapter 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. In other words, it's wise to pursue wisdom and to to prize her highly. So if you want to be wise, first, fear the Lord, and then continually pursue wisdom by applying Scripture to everyday life. If you do, wisdom will triumph over foolishness. Okay, that sounds good. I want to be wise, which means I need to fear the Lord and pursue wisdom. Got it. I got it. That sounds good. But wait a minute. None of us are, in fact, wise, at least not as wise as we could be. Something hinders our pursuit of wisdom. Something gets in the way from us arriving or or continually pursuing down that track of wisdom. As Christians, we want to be wise. We know that wisdom is a treasure, but something hinders us. I'll give you a personal example. University was a a great time in my life. I I had really good friends. I played a lot of Frisbee. I had an excellent professor's. God used those years to shape my character, to conform me, to defer my calling, to smooth out some rough edges. Because you see, I became a Christian late in my teenage life, so when I went to university, I was immature in my faith. Thankfully, I was at a great church, I was in Bible studies, I was mentored by older men, which was all really great, except large doses of biblical truth can puff up, puff up a person. After my first year, I thought I had it all figured out. I was just completing the final three years to get my degree. I was a typical second-year student, a sophomore. That word sophomore means wise fool. I was wise in my own eyes, but I had a lot to learn. So when my friend Barbara disagreed with me in several areas of theology, I took upon myself the noble task of persuading her to my views. Now, Barbara was gracious and patient. In fact, she was... uh, exceedingly patient. Surprisingly, however, she was not impressed and she was not convinced. In fact, she was concerned, not about my views, but about my attitude. You see, I made winning the debate more important than seeing the person. Blinded by my ambition, I failed to realize that I was defending my own cause and seeking my own glory. Barbara saw right through it. 
The OC Supertones were a popular ska band at the time. And after attending one of their concerts, she gave me a gift. It was a sticker with the lyrics from one of their songs, and it read, Let my pride fall down, I'm a little man. I've never forgotten that. My pride was wounded, and I was humbled. But I learned that day, and I'm continuing to learn, that enemy number one, the prime hindrance to wisdom, is pride. This morning, we consider how humility triumphs over pride. Now, pride, as you probably know, is the granddaddy and mother of all sins, which is bad news because it's also a potent poison that kills and destroys. High levels of pride have a survival rate of zero percent. It's hard to persuade a person that he or she is proud. We're programmed to reject God and to listen to ourselves. Even as Christians with a new heart and the ability to walk in the Spirit, we're prone to conform to culture around us and to heed our sinful appetites that, that remain. Thankfully, the Bible was written for prideful people like you and me. And what we find in Proverbs is that pride and humility are, def- are deciding factors for whether we will be wise or foolish. So this morning, this morning what I want us to, I want us to gain a fuller and more personal understanding of pride and humility so that we can apply the gospel to it and truly pursue wisdom. I trust you're growing in the fear of the Lord. I trust you want to be wise. So let's consider three requirements for humble wisdom. Three requirements for humble wisdom. Personalize your pride, promote godly humility, and pursue biblical wisdom. To, to give you a bit of a roadmap, the, the first two points are going to be a little bit longer, and then we'll kind of wrap up with a summary conclusion in the third point. But before we do that, let me just pray, and then we'll get right into the text. Uh, Father, thank you uh, that you meet us in our pride and bring your word to bear on it. Uh, thank you that uh, we don't have to be humble in order to come to you, but we are humbled by coming to you. And thank you, Lord, that, that we can gather here today and hear from your word. We ask your spirit that your spirit would give us eyes to see the truth of Scripture, namely that, that we would be pointed to the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it would be with a clearer, more accurate view of him, our hearts would be humbled, and, and we'd be moved towards worship and wisdom. This is what we want, Lord. We want to praise you rightly. We want to be men and women who are wise, who skillfully apply your word to our lives so that we can make much of you, so we can glorify you. And we need your help today, Lord. It's not easy to hear about our pride. It's not easy to be humbled. Lord, we ask that you would do that work in our life, even here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're not already there and you have your Bible, please turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs. Or I suppose you could open up your app and go right to Proverbs. Again, our topic is humility triumphs over pride. And we begin with the need to personalize your pride. Pride takes many forms and is manifested in many different ways. So we need to differentiate between pride in general and my own pride in particular. If we are going to acquire wisdom grounded in humility... We must biblically define pride 
and identify its presence in our own life. Thus, first, the first requirement for humble, humble wisdom is to personalize your pride. Now, are you ready for this? You are prideful. There it is. Now, that may, that may not come as a surprise to you, but do you know how pride operates in your daily life? It will not do to generally accept that we are proud because sin thrives in vague generalities. Obscurity acts as a veil to conceal the dark details of our sin. We confess and God forgives specific sins so that the only explanation for transformation is His grace. As I said, pride takes many forms. Here are several examples. Perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you can find yourself in one or more of these examples. Ingratitude. Proud people think they deserve better or more. So instead of being grateful, they complain or criticize. Anger. Pride provokes anger when personal expectations go unmet. Unfulfilled plans and preferences lead to frustration, impatience, or irritability. The fear of man. Who among us can't relate to the fear of man? Pride can be overly concerned with what others think, consumed with trying to impress or to retain a reputation. Hypersensitive. Pride can take the form of an overactive conscience or one who is devastated by criticism. This person is thin-skinned, easily hurt or plagued by endless introspection because they think too much about themselves. Self-pity. Maybe that's one you didn't think would be on the list. Self-pity is low pride. A negative preoccupation with self is discouraged about not getting approval and not getting recognition. Such a person is disappointed that their self-glorification plans were thwarted. He or she has a victim mentality. Defensive. A proud person always has an excuse or an explanation. He tends to blame shift and find fault with others. He's slow to admit his sin and slow to seek forgiveness. Prayerlessness. You knew that one was coming. Proud people act like they're self-sufficient and don't need to depend on God and others. When they do pray, it's often about themselves. Control. Some proud people need to control because they believe their way is best or they are the most capable person. They prioritize preferences over people. Self-centered. This proud person wants attention and admiration and shows little compassion for others. When he or she does notice others, he views them with a competitive, critical, or envious spirit. Unteachable. Many pride, prideful people are poor listeners or poor learners. They're right in their own eyes, stubborn in their opinions, and unwilling to ask for help. Deceitful. Pride can, can cause a person to tell half-truths or resist volunteering information in order to protect their status and self-image. Boastful. Of course, pride can boast in its personal achievements and abilities. I mean, could I go on? Pride takes so many forms, and we need to identify, where's the pride in my life? We know it's there, but where is it manifesting itself? The point is that pride is hidden in the everyday sins we often fail to acknowledge. In fact, pride is the root of every sin and evil, and unless we identify the specifics, we'll view it as common and unavoidable. You know, everybody's proud. What, I mean, what can you do? But let's go deeper. We need to go deeper. 
We often think of pride as arrogance, which is true, but that's, that's too narrow. It's far better to understand pride more broadly as an inflated view of self. Listen to this. Pride is an unrealistic, unbiblical view of yourself. Really, pride, listen, hear this, really pride is a form of insanity because it's disconnected from reality. It's an illusion, a fictional make-believe idea about yourself. Pride causes you to view life through the lenses of your self-defined imaginary reality. Pride, therefore, is a lie. Pride is a lie. It's living a lie. I mean, imagine if I told you, you know what? I used to run track and field in high school. That part's true. And I'm fast. In fact, I'm pretty sure I could beat Usain Bolt. Tried the 100-meter dash the other day. It was about nine flat. Not my best time, but I mean good. I mean, and then I just boasted about it. And, you know, you'd think that you wouldn't even take me seriously. That's absurd. Obviously, Michael's office rocker there. But pride is like that. Pride is living an absurd lie. Pride is spiritual blindness. It's, a, it's delusional. But now, get this, it goes even deeper. The source and sustainer of your pride is deeper pride, which means pride keeps us from seeing our pride. Even our logic is contaminated, so we rationalize and explain away our pride with our pride. It's like we see the world in black and white but refuse to admit we're colorblind. Worldly wisdom makes sense to us because it's what we know. If you combine Proverbs 12, 15, which says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, with Proverbs 6, 2, 16, 2, which says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, pride feels normal. Pride feels normal. We trust in our own minds, 28, 26. We lean on our own understanding, 3, 5. The problem is we don't take ourselves seriously enough. We don't get alarmed about our pride. And this, this glib self-assurance is dangerous because there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, Proverbs 14, 12. Listen, we need to deliberately personalize our pride because the stakes are high. God is telling us to pay attention. Pride is real. It's not reality, but it's real. It affects us generally, but we must address it specifically. Pride teaches us, or excuse me, Proverbs teaches us that pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous for several reasons. First, simply put, pride is sin. It falls short of the glory of God. Proverbs 21.4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Pride exchanges the glory of God for the idol of self-worship. And, and pride exchanges the truth about God for the lies about self-wisdom. Thomas Watson said, pride is idolatry because a proud man is a self-worshipper. This, in part, is what makes pride evil and why God hates it. Proverbs 8.13, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Here God says, I hate pride. Not just pride in general. We're not talking about the politician's pride or the famous person's pride or your family member's pride. God says, I hate your pride. 
Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He could hardly say it any stronger. Verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. First on the list, haughty eyes. God hates pride because it's an attempt to displace him from his throne. He's unwilling to give even a fraction of his glory to another. And our pride is a fraudulent attempt at self-glory. It spurns God's grace and it attempts to replace him with our self-effort. Pride then makes a mockery of the cross as though Christ's death was unnecessary. Right? The, the, the cross exposes our, our pride. It exposes our sinfulness because if God had to go to that length to save me from my pride, then my pride must be deep. But my pride says, that cross wasn't that necessary. God loves to be gracious, but pride tramples his mercy. C.S. Lewis said, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. In fact, its natural inclination is to forget about God. Thus, God opposes the proud because the proud oppose God. Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorners he is scornful, but the humble he gives favor. The Greek rendering of this verse is quoted in James and Peter. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And what we see here is that pride nourishes self-love. If cultivated, the root grows into this tree of of stubborn insubordination and bears the fruit of self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, self-pity, self-promotion, self-admiration. It leads to the rejection of those who oppose you because you cannot serve two masters. So if you're serving yourself, those who oppose you need to be rejected. In this case, even God himself. If God is opposing my self-love, then either my self-love has to go or God has to go. Pride says, I want to be God. I want to be in control. I want to decide the circumstances of my life. I want to be self-sufficient without need of grace, or at least not that much grace. I want to be strong, not weak. Or at least I want to appear in control, put together, fearless and without deep personal needs. Pride, however, doesn't just oppose God doesn't just oppose God's right to be God. It resists Christ's heart for you. It refuses to admit your complete dependence on God and his grace. I mean, picture, picture this. Picture a man walking in the desert, and he's dehydrated, and he, he's nearly dying. The thirst has almost taken his life. And then his caring and dear mother offers him water, shade, and a place to rest. The man, however, refuses. She appeals to him and says, My dear son, I only want to help. I walked miles in the hot sun to deliver this water for you and to, to bring you these comforts. You can have these all free of charge. Just take these blessings, please. But the man responds, I'm fine. I can do it myself. That's pride. That's your pride and that's my pride. And that's how we treat God in, in specific Secret ways that if we don't identify, if we're not specific about, we'll just operate in the background. Pride resists God's kindness and replaces it again with self-effort. It seeks self-approval and self-worth independent of God's grace. We might give lift service to God's grace, but in our hearts we want to believe we don't need it. 
Pride hijacks your identity in Christ. It twists your view of self so that you pursue happiness, again, apart from the riches of the gospel. Right? God's given you this treasure in the gospel. He's given you all his riches. And pride says, well, I'll take a sampling, but I'd really like to do it myself. As you walk through the desert of life, you put your hope in the mirage. You dig broken cisterns that can't hold water, and you continually return to them only to find dry sand that leaves you thirsty for living water. In the end, pride leads to disgrace and destruction. Proverbs 11:2. when pride comes, then comes disgrace. The word for pride here is as the idea of boiling up. When, when pride boils up or spills over, uh, the result is disgrace, dishonor. In seeking self-glory, we actually get shame. And left unchecked, this disgrace leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. According to the next verse, it's better to be poor than proud because pride leads to one's downfall and ruin. The word translated destruction in that verse means breaking, like the, like the shattering of a bone. Often, if you sort through the rubble and wreckage of a person's shattered life or even just a mild disappointment, Underneath it is a haughty, proud heart. So brothers and sisters, my my encouragement, my challenge to you is let's avoid generalizations and excuses and fatalism. Pride flourishes in the obscure. Be honest and ruthless. Admit the details of your pride with an awareness of its dangers. Take it seriously. Repent specifically and run to the gospel. God is able to make you humble. The passage Trenton read earlier depicted the proud pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, exalting himself and and defaming God. You know, God was okay with the king, excuse me, with Nebuchadnezzar being the king. He was okay with a a pagan ruling the world as it were. What he wasn't okay with was was he being proud. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar was driven into the wilderness and made to be like a wild beast. After his humiliation, Nebuchadnezzar praised the Lord and recognized God's rightful position of glory and dominion. And the the moral of the story, what we see from that uh, event there is recorded in the last verse, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's good news. So let's consider how to promote godly humility. We've seen that we need to personalize your pride. Now, let's promote godly humility. What I want to do here is to describe humility and then give a few, just a few ways to promote it in your own life. Well, as you'd expect and as you know, humility is the opposite of pride, which, which means it's a biblical view of yourself within the context of God's holiness. When you see God's holiness and when you recognize your sinfulness, the result is humility when you, when you really come to grips with those things. Humility is a sane and rational because it's accurate. We really are weak, needy, and sinful. We don't have to pretend otherwise. Humility says, this is who I am. I am weak. I am sinful. I do need grace. So why do we proudly pretend? Why do we pretend that we're not weak? That that, that we, we don't need as much grace as we do? Why do we cover up our sin or we're not just, we're not so willing to admit 
The reason, I think, is because humility is vulnerable. You see, although pride is the source of sin, it's really not the bottom. There's something underneath your pride, namely guilt and shame. We're proud because we're afraid. We fear exposure. We fear being truly known. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, pride attempts to cover over our nakedness. It's a way to pretend we're not so needy, a way to distract from our failures. Pride lives like a scared orphan, even though we've been adopted into God's family. Unbelief, then, is the real cause of our pride, and treasuring the gospel is the solution. Humility admits my guilt, shame, weakness, and need with confidence in God's promises. Humility believes what God says about me is true. It acknowledges the depth of my sinfulness without excuses, without attempts to lessen it, and without comparing myself to others. Humility says, here I am in all my sinfulness, in all my deceitful motives. God, rescue me. The humble Christian understands that he doesn't deserve anything. Doesn't deserve anything good, but yet he's received every good gift. He doesn't focus on his achievements or his failures. He's lost in the merits and sin-conquering grace of a Savior. It's vulnerable because humility doesn't build a case for your self-worth based on your performance or your reputation. It opens you up for criticism because you don't defend yourself. So it feels helpless and, and defenseless, a feeling pride avoids. But what's so beautiful about humility, while it's vulnerable, what's so beautiful about it is that it exchanges preoccupation with myself for an obsession with Christ. It's true self-knowledge, yes, but it's also self-forgetfulness. I recognize the depth of my sinfulness, but I don't live there. I move away from there and find my refuge in Christ. In Christ, our nakedness is covered and pride is it's unnecessary. In his reassuring presence, we don't have to fear the disapproval of others or pretend we're strong. His affectionate affirmation means we don't have to impress anyone or live for the praise of man. Jesus draws near to those who trust him, not to those who trust themselves. His grace is for the needy, not the proud. He is glorified in your weakness, not in your facade of strength. Pride and humility, therefore, are about where you find your identity, what you believe about God, yourself, and the gospel. Put your identity in work, family, success, good behaved, well-behaved kids, anything really, and it will lead to pride or tempt you towards pride. Find your identity in Christ and his achievements and his merits for you. That leads to honest humility. Listen, God provided forgiveness for guilt, freedom from shame, a new identity in Christ. We don't have to be strong. We don't have to be smart. We don't have to have it all together or be self-sufficient. God's grace is enough. We have Christ. Our life is joined to his. Remember, God rules an upside-down kingdom. The humble are exalted and the proud are demoted. 
Proverbs 29, 23 says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Exalt yourself and you'll be put to shame. Humble yourself and you'll be honored. You see the irony? Pride humiliates us and humility honors us. A humble person embraces their need for grace and then is given more grace. As James 4 says, grace is given abundantly. Again, we read in Proverbs 3.34, to the humble he gives favor. His favor in this case comes in the form of covenant blessings. For the Israelites, that meant old covenant blessings of health, prosperity, peace, fruitful crops, right? They would receive the blessings of the old covenant. For us, for, for Christians, for new covenant believers, it means spiritual blessings in Christ. We have a fuller, more enjoyable relationship with God when we're humble. In several other places in Proverbs, it reads, humility comes before honor. You see, God blesses the humble because amazingly, he himself is humble. Jesus humbled himself to the lowest point possible, dying a criminal's death by the hand of people he created for people who hated him. As a result, God the Father exalted him. Likewise, the call for you and me is to not deny yourself and to delight in Christ. I, and I mean, you know it because you've tasted it. Christ is so much better than yourself, right? You're wrapped up in yourself. That is not joy. You're wrapped up in Christ. You find greater, truer joy. So how do we promote humility? Well, I just want to keep this simple, give you a few ways here. The first one is the most important. Recognize your need for grace. I've, I've said this already, but I just want to drive it home. Recognize your need for grace because humility flows from grace. You're deeply sinful. That's reality. And you say, Pastor Michael, yes, I, I know. That's why I'm proud, because I want to hide my sin and weaknesses. I don't want to be exposed. But pride is living a lie. Listen, if you're reading the same Bible I'm reading, then I know you're sinful. I know you get anxious. I know you fear. I know you experience self-pity. I know that you struggle in all these areas. So I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be proud. You know that I'm sinful. God describes you. Listen to how God describes you apart from his grace. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. The obvious answer is no one. Ephesians 2 says that we're, we were spiritually dead, a living, living according to worldly values, satanic standards, and sinful desires, making us children of, of God's wrath. The Bible says we were deceived, depraved, helpless, and hopeless. We were weak, sinful, enemies of God who needed to be rescued and redeemed and reconciled. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing of spiritual value. What do you have that you did not receive? But we're, we're all prone to connect our worth and our status to outward appearances. If you look good, do good, and promote good, then you feel good. But that's pride. That's high pride. If you look bad, perform poorly, or are criticized, then you feel badly, and that's low pride. But when you examine your internal motives, 
more than your external appearances. You can say with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Surely I'm the foremost of sinners. To promote humility, fully embrace your daily need for grace and regularly confess your sin. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The word translated mercy here is a very, it's a very tender word. It's the word for a mother's womb because mercy is God's affectionate kindness towards you. Look, he, he knows that we're vulnerable. He knows that we're weak. He knows that sin exposes us and he draws near to us as a tender father when we acknowledge it, when we confess it and run to him. Listen, mercy and grace, I don't know about you guys, but mercy and grace is far better than disgrace and destruction. That's the path I want to be on. Hope is for the humble. Freedom is for those who recognize their slavery. Grace is for those who admit their need. Once you admit your need, rehearse, rehearse the depths of the gospel promises that are yours in Christ. Again, God gives grace to the humble. He gives it abundantly. He gives grace upon grace. He gives it so lavishly because we need it so desperately. As a result, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Whatever you fear, whatever reasons you have for pretending you're something you're not, it will not disqualify you from His grace and it will not separate you from Christ. So recognize your need for it. Second, next way is to rely on the means of grace. We desperately need grace, so let's, God, let's use God's means for getting His supply of it. I'll mention a few without elaborating too much. Communion with Christ through His Word. Spend time with God in His Word. He wants to give you grace through His Word. Converse with Christ through prayer. He wants His personal relationship with you. He wants to help you see yourself and then apply the balm of His loving kindness to it. Contemplate Christ with gospel meditation. You know, just renew your mind with the truth, what God says, who He says you are. Not just the sin parts, but also the redeemed parts. That you're a new creation. Just renew your mind in these things so you can be humble. And counteract your pride with the knowledge of God, with really knowing who God is. Friends, God loves to give you grace. And it comes in the form of relationship with Him through His Word and prayer and a renewed mind. The humble and needy take long drinks from the fountain of life because they understand that they'll die of thirst without it. A third related way to promote humility is to revere God and His Word. To modify John Owen's words, pride will keep you from the book or the book will keep you from pride. You see, humility reveres God's Word, but pride despises it. Every word in the Bible is Jesus' message to you for your good. God has revealed himself to you, so it's wise to humbly look and be blessed. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That taking refuge in him is humility. It's finding that I need refuge. I need protection. I need a safe place, and that is in God himself. Or Isaiah 66, 2 this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The culture 
media, your own heart will give you a faulty view of yourself. Only God's Word will give you the corrective lenses to view yourself accurately. Lastly, how do you promote humility? Rightly respond to correction. Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Pride refuses or recoils at correction, and then it misses out on wisdom. Humbly listening to, to trusted correction in your life leads to wisdom and honor. Who do you invite? Who do you invite? Who do you ask to speak into your life? Are you approachable and correctable? Does, does proud defensiveness prevent others from correcting you? Are you a good listener? You know, listen, we're all blind to our pride. We don't have to do this alone, but we need others to give us life-giving reproof. And we need to humbly receive it and respond to it. So, if we're prepared to personalize our pride and promote godly humility, then we're ready to pursue biblical wisdom. And that's the third and final requirement for humble wisdom. We need to pursue it. As we read at the beginning, wisdom is skillfully applying God's word with, word with discipline and discernment. It enables a skillful, effective, productive life that glorifies God. We want wisdom. And the message of Proverbs is get wisdom. You cannot, however, buy wisdom at Superstore. You can't order on Amazon even if you do have a Prime account. To gain wisdom, you must fear the Lord. When you desire to please God with your life and worship Him and obey Him, you're on the path towards wisdom. Such a person is teachable, open to correction, eager to honor God and love others. Such a person is humble. And in Proverbs, the goal of humility is, in fact, wisdom. One commentator even suggests the words wise and humble are basically synonymous in Proverbs. We see this in verses like 11.2. With the humble is wisdom. With the humble is wisdom. Humble here is a rare word, only in, only in this place and in Micah 6, 8. Walk humbly with your God. It pictures, it pictures kind of this pliable heart, a teachable, submissive heart, and which sounds a lot like wisdom. And that little preposition, with, with the humble is wisdom, that little preposition portrays wisdom as your trusted companion, right? When a, person's when a person is humble, his close friend, his companion that's nearby him, it's wisdom. They go together. And this makes sense because they're both connected to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we could say the fear of God and the fear of, excuse me, humility is the continuation, 
that produces wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and humility is the continuation towards wisdom. The, the fear of God and humility together then work towards producing wisdom. For example, Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Together, the fear of the Lord and humility produce the fruits of wisdom, right? That's the fruits of wisdom, riches and honor and life. Those are the things that generally come to pass for those who are wise. And if you want to gain those fruits, the fruits of wisdom, you need the fear of the Lord and humility. Or Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Again, you need the fear of the Lord to gain wisdom and you need humility to gain the fruit of wisdom, namely honor. You could say it this way. The fear of the Lord issues from a biblical view of God and humility issues from a biblical view of yourself. You see how they, they really form one coin together. If you're going to view God rightly in His holiness and in His character and His compassion, all that who God is, the result will be a fear of the Lord. If you're going to view yourself rightly in the, your depravity, in your need for grace, in, in God's transformation of your life, giving you a new heart, redemption, all these things purchased by His blood, View yourself rightly, lead to humility. View God, view yourself, fear the Lord, humility. They go together. And they lay the foundation for wisdom. The path to, the path to wisdom is paved with the fear of God and humility. While the path to foolishness is paved with pride. Thus, when we see God in His holy splendor and majesty, when we experience His mercy and grace, when we appreciate His kingly sovereignty, we fear Him. We worship Him, we trust Him, we love Him, we obey Him, and we grow in wisdom. And when we see ourselves deeply flawed of sin, dependent on God, desperate for His grace, and united to Christ, we are humble and we grow in wisdom. Without an accurate view of God and ourselves, however, we live in foolish pride. Pride inflates our view of ourself, which pollutes and diminishes our view of God. According to Proverbs 14, verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. And scoffer in Proverbs is, is just a, a haughty, arrogant, proud person. So the proud person seeks wisdom in vain. <clears throat> He superficially seeks wisdom so only so that he can appear wise, right? He doesn't really want wisdom, not the kind of wisdom that's based on the fear of the Lord and humility. He just wants to look a certain way. Pride, then, is essentially the epitome of foolishness. It opposes biblical wisdom. It foolishly relies on our own understanding instead of God's Word. It clumsily navigates life without spiritual compasses. It refuses to help to receive help or counsel, even when it's obvious that help is needed. It makes hasty, unwise decisions with the hope of personal gain. The alternative to this foolish pride is a humble fear of the Lord. Now listen to this last part. In order to pursue biblical wisdom, with humble fear of the Lord, we must, this is what, this is, 
boil it down. We must pursue Christ. At the risk of oversimplifying, killing pride, cultivating humility, and gaining wisdom comes down to knowing Christ. The vitality of your personal relationship with Jesus directly impacts your place on the scale, sliding scale of pride and humility. Treasure Christ and cherish His grace and you will grow in humility and wisdom. After all, Jesus displayed perfect humility and wisdom is exemplified in Christ. Indeed, Christ is the wisdom of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ, Jesus rescues prideful fools like you and me. As I said at the beginning, we're all prideful. Thankfully, we don't go to Christ because we're humble. We go to Christ because we're proud and we see our pride. And we know that He is gentle and lowly. We bring our burdens to Him, and He says, let me carry that for you. I see the burden of pride is breaking your back. Let me take it for you. He receives us and loves us and helps us overcome our pride because He gives more grace. So I encourage you to humbly search for wisdom in Christ. Listening to a sermon about humility won't make you humble. I doubt very much that you will leave the gym today more humble or less prideful than you were when you came. God's word is powerful and maybe you're affected, maybe there's conviction happening, I pray and I hope so. But what needs to happen is an active, ongoing desire to pursue Christ by personalizing your sin, personalizing th that pride in your life, being specific about it, taking ownership of the, of the ways that you have an unbiblical view of yourself and then submitting that to a right view according to His Word. Promoting godly, humili godly humility is an ongoing activity. We need to recognize, again, our daily need for grace and commitment to pursue it like a treasure, like a thirsty man in the desert. And we need to pursue biblical wisdom by seeking and getting, setting our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's, let's forsake our pride. Let's cut it at the root of unbelief, and let's together have a culture and a church that's willing to be vulnerable, that understands that the men and women around us, we're all sinful, we're all in this together, we're linking arms and we're going to the cross so that we can be humble and so that we can find wisdom that will glorify Him and give Him all the glory He is due. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You very much for your word and how it speaks to us and how you've given us understanding and insight quite clearly, quite obviously, without your word, we have such a lofty, untrue, unrealistic view of ourselves. We live a lie. We need your word to expose us, God, and we're welcoming that here today. We're asking you, Lord, would you show us our pride? We want to see the specifics of it. We want to confess to our spouse, you know, I'm, I'm proud in this area. I'm sorry I haven't done this. We want to confess to our, our friends and to you primarily, 
God, I recognize the pride in my anxiety. I recognize the pride in my whatever it is in our life and just willingly come and say, I come. I come honestly. I come vulnerably. And I come to confess my pride and my need for grace. And if we're honest, Lord, I think many of us, we're thankful for grace, but we don't live dependent on it moment by moment. God, give us, give us help. Give us mercy, we pray. We want to grow in wisdom so that we can skillfully apply your words, so that we can be more like Christ, so we can glorify you. And we're asking, we're pleading with you, bring your mercy, Lord. Have mercy on us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.